HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to a special edition of Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. I started this podcast about two years ago in order to showcase women in the hospitality industry. I was really interested in their challenges and their successes. I was, and I still am, looking for answers to questions like, how do I find meaning? How do I figure out what to do next? How do I overcome failure? But another question has emerged in my mind. Where do men fit in this picture? And as a result, I've been learning about extraordinary partnerships between men and women. I'm going to be exploring some of these stories this season on Speaking Broadly. On today's show, I have two guests, Missy Robbins and Sean Feeney, partners in two of New York City's most beloved restaurants, Lilia and Missy. They met when they were neighbors in the same building. Sean was a finance guy and, by his own description, a raging lunatic foodie. And Missy was a star chef at a restaurant called Avoce. But before we jump to the present, I'd love to hear a little bit about the role that meals played in your lives when you were growing up. For me, dinner was at home every night. My mom was an incredible, is an incredible entertainer, and every holiday was spent at home, and big Thanksgivings, and Rosh Hashanah, and breakfast for Yom Kippur, like all of that stuff. And my biggest memories are, are a lot of travel, which kind of date back to when I was five years old. My dad got a sabbatical teaching gig in Israel, and he pulled my brother and I out of school, and the four of us went to Israel for a month when I was five years old. And I still remember, I don't have a photographic memory, but food has always played a really big part. And I remember the bags of milk that came in these plastic bags in Israel instead of a carton. I remember being at the kibbutz and having unpasteurized milk for the first time and running out of the dining hall. Running when, out of the dining hall scared? Yeah, like <laughs> terrified. And and we, we went to London when I was 12 and I think my brother and I can recite every single thing we ate from a, a three-star Michelin experience. And my parents were really generous that way. They wouldn't leave us in the hotel room. They would like drag us along. And most of the time I would, I would complain. But then once I was there, 
I was really into it and there's just like a very long running joke in my in my family that my dad would always be like why do you have to pick the most expensive thing on the menu and then I would hammer it and and order it well done so I'd be like I'll have the rack of lamb well done please I was really into the theater of it all I didn't know I would become a chef I I just loved the theater of dining out and I loved the plates and and all of that so Missy when you say that you don't have a photographic memory, but you remember like the meals in London. What do you, what do you remember? What was the restaurant? And is there any other thing in your life that you remember as clearly as you remember? No, I don't remember anything as clearly as I remember food and, and travel experiences, but the restaurant was called Le Gavroche. It still exists. And, um, it's a very fancy French restaurant. And I, I remember, I mean, mostly I remember the, the onion soup. It was the most spectacular onion soup I've ever had in my life. I remember the petty fours. I remember like my parents having coffee service. I remember the table. I remember the waiters. Like it's, it's a very strange thing that, that I just sort of absorbed. And I never thought that it would lead to this. I thought that maybe someday that I would have a different career and then maybe in retirement I would open a restaurant. You clearly didn't wait until retirement to start cooking. And Sean, you got to try her food a decade ago. I wonder what you remember about that meal and others that have shaped your food memories. Like when I think about it now, I remember the first time I tasted Missy's pasta in December 2009. It was the first time I ever tasted white truffle. I remember the first time I had a a burger at PJ Clark's. The bartender Doug served it to me. I remember... February 23rd, 2005, I went to Babo for the first time in my life, and I could tell you every single bite that I had of that meal. And after that night, my entire life had changed. Up until then, I was going to steak houses six nights a week for my job because I thought that's what you had to do. One of those steak houses. Explain, like, what was your job? Uh, at that time, I was at Goldman Sachs, and I was a, uh, a high-yield corporate bond trader, which I was up until four months ago. And I created an edge off of the trading floor every single night where I felt very comfortable going to the restaurants and building relationships and trust, which gave me an advantage the next day because I love the building of relationships and that made me good at that job. And then my meal at Babo, February 23rd, 2005, it changed everything. So a lot of the things that Missy's talking about, feeling the food and never forgetting it, definitely happened with me. I could tell you all the most special meals and experiences I've ever had. I never thought that was gonna lead to this. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what this is. Yeah, I mean, so we we have two restaurants, Lilia and and Missy. Lilia's almost four years old, which sounds so old when I say that out loud now. Um, Four years in restaurant years is like 20. Yeah, and and I've been in this business for 25, 26 years now. Uh, I started when I was 22, and I've gone through a lot of phases of my career, mostly in fine dining and mostly sort of striving to, to compete in a really tough field. And at 42 years old, after doing this for 20 years, um, decided to take a break. I was, I was kind of at the top of, top of what we would say my game. Come on, let's just say you were recognized as an extraordinary chef. So you're the top of something. I was the top of something. And, and I, and I do recognize that. And I, and I knew that I could have stayed at my job another 10 years and, and I could have excelled at that very well, but something in me just, I wasn't, 
I wasn't happy and I I was I was proud. I was proud of, of the food I was cooking and I was proud of the team I had built and I had a very loyal team and I had two amazing chefs and sous chefs and all these people had been with me for four years. But I, I was in a it was a, a difficult restaurant and they were busy and they were tough and staffing was hard and I was just sort of at a point where I I wanted to take a step back and really think about what I wanted to do. And, and now it's been six years since I, since I left that job. And it was, a, it was a hard decision and a scary decision and not one that I recommend for everyone. It was right for me and it was right for me at the time and it led me to where I am today. And I, and I don't think I would be the person I am today, the partner I am today, the, the chef I am today. I don't think Lilia would be the restaurant it is if I hadn't taken all this time off. And so, so what happened during the time off? Well, I a, had a lot of time to to clear my head and to have space to think about what was next. And part of me wanted to go back to school and become a therapist and never be in a restaurant again and have a no, no, quote unquote normal life. And part of me didn't want to give up on my dream of opening a restaurant. And I think in that year, I, I was able to travel. I was able to see, I, I went to Asia where I'd never been before. I was able to experience cuisines I hadn't experienced before. I, I was able to be in Italy in places I hadn't been before and, and get rejuvenated. And I was able to just sort of be a different person, like live a life that chefs don't get to live and be with my friends outside of the industry and spend a lot more time with my family and and get to know people like Sean better and I I just was living a life um and in that time Sean I was home a lot and I I was by myself in my apartment a lot and um which I thoroughly loved and Sean um, that, that's probably the biggest difference between us. You, yes, you I, I do like alone time. I simply um, cannot be alone. He simply cannot. That's, that's, um, that's fact. And uh, Sean would knock on my door, and, and he was sort of dabbling in some consulting with, with restaurants a little bit, and he would knock on my door, and he would say, hey, can, can we talk about food cost? And I'd be like, I'm retired, dude. Like, I <laughs> totally don't want to talk about food cost right now. Um, but I would, and we would talk about stuff, and he now I know him, and he would just hammer me with like 300 questions at a time and no answer was like good enough not to get to the next question. What was the dabbling that you were doing, Sean? Because you had a full-time job. You were up at 5.30 in the morning. You um, have an amazing wife. It seems like you were kind of busy. I think it was in a time in my life where I was reflecting on times where I wasn't meeting my goals and I was setting goals based on an end of year bonus or a promotion or potentially being offered a, a job somewhere else that's very good. And I was always doing that to raise my family, but I was definitely measuring my professional success based on those very finite things. Also, I just truly was not doing something that I was, I was great at. So every time I would get to that moment of reflection, I would say, well, too far into this, you know, whether it was being at Goldman Sachs for four years in the fourth year saying like, oh, man, I don't, maybe I should do something else. Well, I want to get married next year. I can't get, I cannot get, tell Marie I'm starting over. I was, I was coming to that same conclusion. Just put your head down and keep on doing your thing because it's really not that bad. Um, but I think it was in a moment where I was really questioning and challenging myself a little bit to see if there was something else out there. I remember moving into the apartment building in 2009 and the owner of the building, there was only three apartments in the building, the owner of the building liked to interview everybody that was moving in. And my wife and I had just gotten married and uh, we, we interviewed with him and he said to me, he's like, you know, you have a very, 
very famous <laughs> chef that lives below you. You used to love to tell people that. And that sounds like, like my mother. Yeah. He should not have told this raging foodie lunatic that piece of information because I essentially hovered around her apartment until I met her. And so the one day I saw her, I was like, hey, aren't you, you're the chef at Oche, right? She's like, yeah. How do you know that? It's like, oh, I, I read this article on Eater. <laughs> and I, ju I just recognized you. Do you remember? Because you both have these crazy memories. Do you, do you remember when he came up? He's like, are you I mean, Yeah, definitely. I used to, I used what do you remember about that? I just remember. I what mean, about the menu? the menu? The menu. He left the menu, which I just found when I moved, right? He, he took the menu from a voce and put it under my door and was like, could you please sign this for me? After he ate there for the first time, and in it's classic Missy Robbins fashion, I threw it in a pile of crap on my desk for Never gave it back. five years. And then when I moved three years ago out of that apartment, I was like, oh, look what I But she did sign it. She did sign it, and it says in Italian, to the future, <gasps> which is insane. It's insane. So then um, Hurricane Sandy, the night it hit New York City, I uh, was coming home from work. Missy was in the hallway, and I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I just had to close the restaurant. I said, oh, you want to have dinner tonight? I'm, I'm cooking. And she's like, you're going to cook for me? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm cooking. You could come up. And she's like, what are you making? And I said, bolognese. And she's like, you're going to cook pasta for me. And I was like, uh, I mean, I'm cooking. You could come up. <laughs> and so she, she came up, and uh, my daughter was one years old at the time, so she was sleeping, and we just... That was the night we became friends. We literally told each other, Maria, myself, and Missy, our life stories. And um, that was the night that she told us that she was most likely going to be taking a year off. What, what do you remember about that Hurricane Sandy night and the balls of the sky to be making the bolognese? First of all, I just want to go on record saying he makes a mean bolognese. Probably better than my bolognese. Ooh. He's been working on it for years. Bolognese is not my thing. Like, it's not... Wow, this, it's is, not, this is tape. This is tape. Yeah, no, and I'm okay. I'll take I, it. I'm okay. Thank he, you, chef. It Thank was you. great. Pasta was cooked perfectly. And mind you, it was dark. The power went out at 8 o'clock. Um, it was awesome night. We just sat there for like hours. And then in the spirit of Sean not liking to be by himself, even though he has a wife. Or want he, others. I don't want he, others to be by he themselves. Said, he said, well, why don't you just sleep over? And I was like, I don't know, because I have a bed, one flight Literally eight down. steps. She had eight steps to go. And I said, I'm, I'm fine. Just maybe give me a flashlight or something so I can get downstairs. And, and that was kind of it. And then we became really good friends. And we would knock on each other's doors and yeah. hang out and cook dinners together. And we would, have, we would have these great times during 2013. And I, was, I had a front row seat of the, the, um, the reset of Missy Robbins, where I, I knew that it had been 20 years since she graduated college and immediately entered the industry. And for 20 years, she essentially dedicated every single piece of her being to it. And I very quickly realized in our, our conversations during Hurricane Sandy and then right when she did take off, um, she was she was broken. Like she was it was physically she was not in a good place. Mentally, she felt burnt out. And I think she missed so many life events and sacrificed so much for for where she got to. And I think that reality and the realization of it um, was really important. And I, I saw it happen in front of me where she said, I'm going to do it. And then she started to do it. How do you feel hearing yourself described that way? I think when, when I left Avoce, I'd never said, I'm burnt out, I'm leaving. That's not how I described it, because I don't think I recognized that until I was 
two weeks out of work and I was like, oh, I think I, I was really burnt out. The physical part, like, look, I, I was I was 40 to 50 pounds overweight and I, I could feel it. I could feel it waking up every morning, but like I didn't know how to fix it. I was tasting food all day long and it was the most important thing to me and the only important thing to me was to nail that food. What I realized pretty quickly after I left my job was that I had like an eating thing. I don't, I don't like to call it a disorder because it's not a disorder, but I had like control issues with food and food was unfortunately and ironically sort of my vice. And I probably used it to deal with emotions. I mean, I would eat pints of Haagen-Dazs. I, I mean, I, 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 and it seemed normal to me and I would eat a whole small pizza from, from John's in the West Village in a sitting. And I, I just, I didn't have a lot of control. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I felt broken, but I definitely knew that I wanted to make changes. And I knew that if I had, if I wanted to go back into the restaurant business, that I had to be different. And so I, I went on Weight Watchers at, at the urging of a very good friend of mine in Chicago, who's also a chef who said you should really go on Weight Watchers. And I was like, Weight Watchers, that's like, I'm not gonna eat like steamed broccoli. Like that's just not happening. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's like a really cool, it's a game. And he's like, you'll love it. You're competitive. You'll enjoy the game. And I said, all right, I'll try it. But if I don't lose any weight in the first two weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm shutting it down. And I lost five pounds in the first five days, just from I mean, very small changes. And I ended up losing 40 pounds and it was life-changing for me. I felt better, I felt more energetic. My physical problems that I had at Avoce, like I basically couldn't walk by the time I left Avoce and through physical therapy twice a week. And that, I, I, my ankles never had a problem again. I've kept the weight off pretty much for, for four years now, um, give or take you know, five to 10 pounds, but I, I've definitely kept most of it off. But that change led to the way I cook changed, which led to the food at Lilia being different than any food I had ever cooked. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more of this incredible story from Sean Feeney and Missy Robbins, who together are partners and owners of Lilia and Missy. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Welcome back. This is a special episode of Speaking Broadly. I have two extraordinary guests, as you know, Sean and Missy. We were talking about how... When the two of you became close, yeah. it was that gap, the essentially the gap year. Yeah. yeah. And then Missy began entertaining offers from people yeah, for I, what to do next, right? So I had this great inside 
you know, track on her reset. And uh, I knew she was going to start, you know, doing tastings for the best restaurateurs in the game. And I knew that was exciting for her. And I just wanted her to know that Marie and I believed in her. And, and when I said those words that w we believed in her, I, I truly meant that we were just going to go to her restaurant every single night. That, that literally <laughs> at that moment, that's, that, was my, that was my main thought. And then in the next five months, a lot changed. And, and when, when she was getting offers from people and... Missy also wasn't getting offers from people. Like the offers I was getting, I didn't want. And the offers I wanted, I wasn't getting. And I was, I was running out of money. I, I needed to go back to work. The offers I was getting would afford me the opportunity to get a salary immediately, even if it took another year and a half to actually open a restaurant. I was stressed out and I was and, and I didn't want to go take another Avoche kind of job. I knew I could get one. I knew that there were plenty of jobs for me to take, but I knew that if I, if I was going to enter the industry, I had to do it in a very different way. And, and when I, I think when she was gaining interest from people and they were starting to talk about what it was going to look like, and when she told me what it was about, my first reaction was, well, that's not fair. Well, the, the terms of the deal you're saying. Yes. And, um, and she obviously got very upset with me because I was like, yeah, I don't think also, it's Also, again, very stressed out. So yeah. like when someone's presenting something to you and you've gone through this eight, nine, 12 months of like looking for the right thing, you don't want to hear from someone once you finally get something but for me, it was it was it was more about people and finding the right people than it yeah. necessarily was about the money yes. and or or the deal, yes. so to speak. And and that's where I think yeah the conversations really turned. Yeah, and I, and I, and at first it was like me offering her help on what she, what I what she did deserve, and then it was a text with my family. We were down in Bermuda. It was the first time I took a vacation in about five years with my entire family, mom and dad. Um, my sister, Maria, and Biella. And I looked at Maria and I was like, what are we doing? Like, what, why, are, why, why aren't we doing this with Missy? Like, what, and my wife looked at me like I had 10 heads. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? You have a job. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I know, I know. I'm, I'm not gonna leave it. And um, I said, we can make this work. We can, we can make this work because we believe in her and, and it's, 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 like a, it's a very good time and I think, I think we could be great partners with her. And um, I texted her, and the response definitely didn't come back immediately. And I said, don't, you know, don't say anything. I'm going to work on something. I'll be back. And uh, three days later, I gave her this like, business plan. And she said no immediately, like literally. And nobody's ever said no to me so fast. And I remember walking upstairs, and Maria was there, and she's like, how'd it go? I was like, <laughs> oh, she said no. And she's like, she what? How? She said no, like immediately? I was like, Oh yeah, she said no. She said thank you. It's cute, but no. And I, I and I walked I walked upstairs and, and Marie's like, so what are you gonna do? I was like, I we're gonna do this. Like we're gonna do it. So Missy, you said no. I did. And what were your thoughts? Like you know, I think the biggest thought was it wasn't it wasn't about him as a as a person. I really I I loved him as a person, but I I. I, it was more about I think I had I had a vision always my whole life my whole career rather of of what the partner looked like and the partner to me looked like a, a, the best front of house GM turned restaurateur um, and I I had this very narrow vision of of what that looked like and when he came to me. I think I was nervous. I had never opened a restaurant. I mean, I had opened a voce and I had done consulting projects, but I hadn't, those weren't mine. They weren't mine from start to finish. They weren't my concept. They weren't my design. They weren't 
I didn't get the liquor license and I was nervous and I was like, well, this guy, like he's smart and he's lovely, but he doesn't know anything about doing a restaurant. And it also, it came down to, again, my nerves. Like I also had a job that I, I couldn't. I... That too. He had a job. Really what, what changed it is many conversations about values. And I had this vision of like, this is the kind of restaurant and restaurant group I want. And this is what I want to do. And I want it to be very focused. And I want to have a team that we're really proud of. And, and we had many really long conversations about what a company looked like. And um, actually, I'm just curious for people who are listening, um, you know, what does that conversation look like? In those conversations, we were always, and we still do, we envision the company that we would want to work for. Like a lot of times when you're working in a corporation with an employee ID, um, you do tend to think about the stuff that you'd rather want in the environment. And, and when we, whenever we're trying to make decisions, it's always kind of thinking back. I mean, I, I was an employee up until four months ago, and I, I Missy spent 22 years of her life as, as an employee, and um, I was 16 years. And I think just what, what, would you, what type of company would you want to work for? And let's start there. Let's start there. And what is our mission? How do you see mission? I mean, there's a ton written about the notion of mission vision, yeah. but since you did it almost innately. We just enjoy the opportunity of making people happier. That's, that is what it really comes down to, and we keep it simple. I love the story about how you wanted to really grow up and be your dad. And so, I feel like a lot of this heart and soul comes Oh yeah. from, yeah. like, that was such a good example of it. Do you want to tell yes, that story? Yes, I, I remember the day I was seven years old. I was at Mike's Deli on Route 34 in Wall Township, and um, I'm getting a bacon, egg, and cheese. There was a young uh, girl who smiled at him. My dad's really not that emotional, but he was um, touched, and I, I never saw him, like, have a tear. And the father of the girl said, um, thank you. And I was like, what's going on there? And he, he did facial reconstruction. He's an oral maxillofacial surgeon on the girl who they had a car accident and, uh, she smiled and she wasn't able to do that when, when he, when he did surgery before. So from that day on, I was like, that's what I want to do. I, I literally just want to be my dad. And my whole entire life. That's all I wanted to do. So when I went to University of Virginia, I was immediately in pre-med. And I remembered um, about three months before graduation, I had an opportunity to work at a, a very special firm. And uh, it was um, a conversation I had to have with my dad and say, like, what do you think I should do here? Because I had gotten into Columbia Medical School and I was, I was going to go that route. And he immediately, without hesitation, said, just go and do it. Just go. And I just went. I will say that next 13 years, I always felt guilt that I, I was not going to be taking over his practice. And uh, essentially, when Lilia opened, I finally recognized that I didn't want to be an oral maxillofacial surgeon. I just, I recognized that my father, every single person that has ever been in his presence has met him with a smile. And I got to do that with Lilia. So just having that ability to let him know that I've, I finally, I've, I do feel like I, I am, uh, I'm doing what he's always done. And I'm not an oral surgeon. So you eventually said yes to Sean. I did. Do you want to hear that story? I now? do. 
I was um, really down in the dumps, and I was sitting. You know, let me tell it. No, it, it is a good one. Because I cry every yeah. time I tell it. Yeah. I, oh, I'm gonna cry too. No, I, I cry every time. Easily. I was I was sitting downstairs, and it was probably the first year in nine years, maybe, that I hadn't been to the James Beard Awards. I was watching it on my computer live streaming kind of like felt like a really just like I was unemployed and I'm sitting at home and I didn't even I didn't know what was going to happen and all these all these chefs were getting up and winning their awards and they were all um thanking their partners and like really sincerely thanking their partners and this is at the point where I was thinking about some other people and I was like these people are all I was thinking to myself like these people are all so proud to stand next to the people that they built their restaurants with. And they, it really seemed sincere this year, that, that year that I was watching it. And I was like, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be proud. And I was like, but standing ne- next to Sean, like if I ever were to win an award like this, I, I feel like I would be really proud to have him next to me. And I literally went upstairs and was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to be partners. I was, He's like, what? Uh, I was crying. I was watching a New York Yankees game. You didn't game. cry this time. I did, and I've told it a lot recently. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was watching a New York Yankees game because I'm like a Yankees fanatic. My wife and daughter were at gymnastics class, and Missy comes barging up into the apartment. Our, our doors were always unlocked, and she just was red-faced. I could tell she was crying. And she just blurted out, Let, we're going to do this. Let's be partners. And I was like, oh, oh, why are you crying? <laughs> and she just said, like, I, I, uh, I want to be in this with somebody that's got my back. And it's not about awards and stuff, but it's, it's about somebody that has my back. And, um, and I remember her walking away. Um, and right before she was about to leave, she goes, um, you have the money, right? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, oh, yo, oh, yeah. And she closed the door. And I almost threw up. <laughs> I was texting Maria. She wasn't responding. And that, that's like, when you don't respond to my text, I lose my mind, as Missy Ooh, knows. Loses his mind. So um, I called up five of my friends who I was, I was telling them I was thinking about doing this. And, and friends that weren't on the trading desks with me, friends that have been in my life older than me, that have been mentors. And I, I was prepping. And, and they had met Missy. So in, in about 20 minutes, I had it all wrapped up. And I felt better. <laughs> I felt a little bit better. I, I was like, I have no idea what the deal is, but it's going to be fair because I'm in it and I need that money back. And like, it's going to be great. It's, I promise you. And from that moment on, it was just like, it was game time. And, and um, that night of the Beard Awards was, um, was something else because I had never watched the awards before. But then um, fast forward, Lilia does open. And uh, my role in the restaurant definitely increased as, as the time was, was um, encroaching. And... Uh, you know, one of the promises I made to Maria on the beach was, I'm not going to be there every night. It's all good. Like, I, all I have to do is manage these finances and make sure the operations are good. You know, if Missy needs me to do some things, like, I'll handle it. But, like, don't worry about it. And she said, okay, well, as long as you don't change being a dad or a husband, I'm in. And as we opened the restaurant, I found myself at the restaurant every single night. And you know, partially because my family and friends were there. I was proud of it. Colleagues were going. Also, I had never felt that feeling in my life before of, of actually creating something with somebody, and it was ours. And so I remember those days of, like, staying at the restaurant until 1.30 in the morning, getting in an Uber back to the West Village with Missy, and one of the nights, it was like a month into it in January, she just looked at me, and she's like, are you okay? 
like, how are you doing this? Because I would be at work every day at 530. And I was like, I don't, I've never felt so good. This is amazing. <laughs> like, this is incredible. And she's like, okay, well, um, you're really good on the floor. And the team seems to be really, um, you know, uh, listening to you. And, and you should do it. You should just do it. And I was like, oh, I am. And I remember going upstairs and waking Maria up at 1.45 in the morning. And um, I started apologizing. And I couldn't get all of it out. She just said, we're moving to Williamsburg. And that w allowed us to, to, to get everything in the line. And me to be able to get to work in the morning before I would come to the floor, see the family, because we literally lived right, right around the corner. And uh, I think that night was probably the most important night of my life because I had these two people in, in my life that essentially empowered and encouraged me. And, and they made me believe um, that, that I had the courage to, to risk being my true self. And that was, that was the moment where I knew like I was finally using that ability to the, form relationships and build trust and I was now using it on the best floor ever, and it was the floor of our restaurant. And then 2017, a year after us opening, uh, Missy was a finalist for the James Beard Best Chef New York. And I, I wasn't surprised because I think she's the best chef in the world, but like, I mean, all of these people that get that, that accolade, it takes a lot of time. And for her to like, a year after opening her own restaurant, to be a finalist, it was a big deal. And um, I, it was just a crazy moment in our lives, but like being there with Missy, they stuck us in the back of the room essentially, um, you know, the, and Marco won. And it was a thrilling, thrilling 24 hours for me because I'm seeing all these like Marco, heroes. Marco Canora. Yes. And I'm seeing all these heroes of, of mine and, and Missy's introducing me um, to them as her partner. And it was so, it was, it was a surreal moment. Um, and then the next year, 2018, she was nominated again as a finalist, and she, uh, she won. They put us in the front row, uh, second row. And uh, Maria was there next to me, and Missy was on my other side, and, and she won. And, and she did give the speech, and she was not emotional. She absolutely killed it, and um, I was a puddle, and I, I, I couldn't breathe. I was crying so, so much. I, I, I gotta say, like marrying Maria and having the kids, it was it was the happiest moment of my life. That when she was when she was standing there. How did you feel? Oh man. Well, up until that point, Dana, I think you know the most other important award that I got was the Food and Wine Best New Chef Award. And I think, look, when you're when you're a chef, there are there are those awards, but you can't you can't do it for that. And I think when, when you awarded me that award in, in 2010, it was equally as surprising as getting nominated for the James Beard Award. And I think when you're doing what you really like to do, it, it's that much more meaningful. And I think for me that, that award, I mean, that was sort of the culmination of the highest highs and the lowest lows that I think a, a human being can have in a what a two-year period from 2016 to 2018 i mean we we opened lilia two weeks after we opened lilia i went through a really really difficult breakup um so that night in the car that he talks about was two weeks after my breakup and i and i was 
a pretty big mess and he had to see that every day and I had to push through because I knew that I couldn't let him down as a partner and our investors and I was like shit we just opened this restaurant I'm going through the worst time of my life and to, to this day I'll never know how it was possible she was able to do this where she essentially didn't tell a single soul I knew obviously and we talked all about it and no one in the restaurant was, knew no like I just I just kind of made it through it and then and it was painful because every single night when I was standing next to Missy at the pass all of these people in the industry or just people that like knew of her would would essentially come up to her and nobody knew who the hell I was so like they thought I was like the host or maitre d and I would be standing there next to her and they would be so happy for her that she now has this restaurant that is the best it in the country most popular restaurant around and it's it's obviously going better than anybody could have ever imagined and um they were truly so happy for her and they would ask her um I mean, you must feel so great. And, and Every she, night, and like she 20 would, people would be would like, nod. oh, this must be the most amazing time in your life. And she, I'd be like... She would nod. And right. I'd just go behind the line. And luckily then, during that point, we, we had a little different kitchen structure where I was actually expediting and plating every single night. So I often didn't have time to talk to people. And I was also obviously checking every dish then. And it was very early on, but... The, those highs and lows really continued. Then, you know, we got an amazing review. Then I wrote a book and like a lot happened. Then we signed a lease for another restaurant. And then after we signed the lease for the restaurant, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Dealing with the breakup and then um, a cancer diagnosis, they're really personal and really emotional. That Like the things in the restaurant world feels so much more controllable compared to those things. Sure. I mean, they're two really different things. The, the, the breakup was highly emotional and really sad. And, and at, at the time that it happened, I had, had partially, you know, this restaurant I thought was, was mine and my ex's future together. And, and though, you know, Maria doesn't work in the restaurant every day, she's certainly a part of, of it as, as our family. Yeah. And I felt the same way. And so I, I think I saw my life shatter a little bit. I think with the cancer diagnosis, um, that was obviously really shocking. And I, I, I don't think there's any way that you can ever prepare for that. I remember, I mean, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in the restaurant when I got the call. I'd obviously gone through the testing. I, I had was had, in Bushwick. I had had interviewing a potential general manager yes. for Missy. And I called him and he like wouldn't pick up. And I was actually at his apartment building in, in their common room because I had nowhere to go talk and he lived two blocks away. And, um, I think, I think with the cancer, I was definitely much more open with that than I was with the breakup. It was a reality. It was something that was going to force me not to be at work um, as, as much as I was. You know, I think, again, going back to partnership, I was really lucky to have Sean. The night before I had surgery, I was like, we have to tell the staff. And he was like, what, you want to tell the staff? Because he's very, very private. And I said, yeah, I, Sean, I'm here every, every night. I'm here all day from 10 in the morning till yeah. midnight. I, I they, they, They're going to start to catch on. And I, I think it's important we tell them. And I couldn't do it myself. I was too emotional. And, and he told them. I went home 
to to just rest before I had surgery and he told the whole staff and it was a really difficult challenge and I and I feel very lucky that I, I caught it very early and my diagnosis was very promising and I didn't have to have chemo and so I was lucky in that regard. I mean, I would go to meetings. I was in the middle of designing Missy when this was all going on and I would go to design meetings that were five hours long and I'm sure I made some bad decisions during that time because I wasn't like a hundred percent but I wanted to push I wanted to push through and that it was more important to me to kind of like stay as normal as I possibly could than to just stay at home by myself and sleep. I'm curious whether at the time like Missy's lows are pretty clear were there financial lows as well? For Lilia? Never. (laughs) Never. They're always high. That's nice. Literally from... Uh, I think before we opened... Oh, yeah. The 14 months of the building out where we made um, a lot of mistakes, um, every mistake in the book, and simply because we have never done that before together, going through the permitting of New York City, which is an absolute disaster, and then having to put a little bit more money into it because we were seven months delayed. Those things were hard. And I would say to any person out there who wants to open a restaurant... If you can actually get the thing open, God bless you, because it really is, that is the hardest thing. Um, Once you get the thing opened, it is not a financial situation. It's more about, as simple as it is, getting people to come check you out and then hopefully come back. And um, with Missy as my partner, I knew that that was going to be sure. But those 14 months before we opened, that tested us very heart and and that was the moment where like her and I as partners we were able to say like let's let's do this let's put it on our shoulder and we're gonna make it work I remember two weeks before we were opening we had the date we had the 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 light was at the end of the tunnel the RSVPs for our friends and family were out we had people coming to our restaurant and I remember leaving my work and uh, going to see Missy and the restaurant definitely didn't seem like it was gonna be opening in two weeks but it was going to open and, and it was going to open people were gonna dine and we stayed at the restaurant until 1.30 in the morning, driving back in an Uber. Missy <laughs> lost her shit and looked at me and said, this is the worst decision I've ever made in my life. And I, I the only reaction that I could have was grab her and, <laughs> and look at her and said, I believe in you. And I, and I believe in us. We're going to do this. We are going to do this. Fast forward two weeks later, I remember leaving work. It was the first night of friends and family. And I get on the L train. And I start having somewhat, I'm not going to say a panic attack because I don't think I've ever had one, but it was very close. And um, I, I sweating profusely. It was probably 40 degrees out, January 16th, 2016, 2016. And I remember like immediately going into the bathroom at Lilia and like washing my face. And, and I was like, oh my God, this is really happening. And I walked out and my father, who was, um, my family was at table 27, which is right by the pass. My dad was stood up, standing up, looking at the fire, and he was emotional. But then I looked at Missy, and she was the calmest I have ever seen her because I had never seen her in a kitchen before. And I finally saw her in her rocket ship, and she was at home. And I was like, oh, we're going to be good. We're, we are, we're good here. And then that was, that was it. And um, six weeks into us being open, there was a review written about us by Pete Wells. And from that moment that Pete Wells wrote, Missy Robbins is cooking pasta again. It was sold out shows in Williamsburg for, for eight days a week. And um, the, sec- the moment that Lilia opened up and three weeks into it, even before the review, I looked at Missy and I was like, all right, so we got something here. 
And uh, now that I know we got something, I'm going to go out and find out what we're going to do next. And, and I was like, I'm going to stay here and make and she, sure that the restaurant actually operates. And she looked at me like she wanted to chop my head off. And I said, don't worry. I said to her, I'm not, I'm not going to force anything, but I need to go and educate myself. Because when we found this auto body shop in Williamsburg, I mean, we had no edge. But now I knew something about, you know, having a little momentum and, and leverage in my finance job is very important and you need to take advantage of that. So all these people that were coming in every single night to Lilia, I just did what I always did and collected cards and I would sit down with them and I would learn about what are the deals that we can get so that when we were ready nine months later in September of 2016 and we found the Domino Sugar Factory after another 40 places that we looked at, it made sense to us to do it. So there's been a lot of conversation about the dynamics between men and women in this industry. Sean, how would you describe your approach to that conversation? As, as crazy as it sounds, I just don't see, I don't see that stuff. I don't, I don't, when I became so close with Missy and my belief in her as a chief executive and non-executive chef, it, was, it wasn't that she was female, it was because she was truly somebody special. And um, I think it's the most exciting time in our industry ever for, for people of all walks to, to make something happen. And um, so if you... So Missy, what's, what's your... Well, what's, your, what's the short take? One of my favorite topics. Um, no, I just I, look. I think I think first of all, Sean and I support each other, and and I think that's the most important thing. And I think he doesn't do this without me, and I don't do it without him. And we both bring something to the table. And when I think about Sean supporting me or our investors supporting me, I don't think any of them were like, yeah, let's let's help a woman. I think people saw someone who's who's worked for. 22 years in an industry and and now 26 years and and wanted to celebrate that I don't I don't think it's a I, I hope that it's not about being a woman and I've never wanted to be and everyone's heard me say this like I don't want to be known as a woman chef and I don't think most women want to be known as women chefs I think we all just want to be known as chefs and Sure, women and men have different sensibilities and there's different things, but I know I know men who have the most delicate, beautiful hand in food and I know women who cook in a much more rustic way that like would would cross stereotypes and I think it's all just sort of stereotypes and 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 at the end of the day, I think it's just important to find the right people who who can support you and the that's all that matters. So I have one more question for you guys. At the end of every episode, I ask my guest to give a shout out to a woman who they admire, who they want other people to know about. So, Missy, who would you shout out? Oh, I'm going to go with our farmer, Patty Gentry. She owns a, a farm called Early Girl out in Long Island. I've known Patty for 20, uh, four, 24 years. We cooked together at Arcadia in 1994. And she went on to become a farmer, and she's just the the most humble, amazing human that I know who supplies us with most of our produce during the summer months. And I've never met a woman who who works harder or is more genuine in in what she does. And what about you, Sean? Um, I'm lucky that I have so many amazing women in my life that have shaped me, but the unsung hero is Maria Fini, my bride. Every moment that she could have said like, you know, I need, I need you, she was saying, go, do it, like, do it. And um, it wouldn't have 
become what it's been without her being so insanely selfless and a part of it. I mean, she's become the the mom of the group and she leads workouts during the day of, of people for, you know, that just want to be a part of it. She wants to be a part of it. She's been want to be a part of it in any way she could be. Um, and um, she's allowed me like, like Missy and Maria, their, um, their belief in me has led me to just do this and risk being my true self. And I think like even Missy, when I think about who has supported each other, I don't think it's one has supported more of, of each other. I think her relationship with with me, our friendship is elemental in my life. Sean Feeney that sits right here this moment does not exist without Missy Robbins. Sean, that is amazing. It's been such a pleasure talking to both of you today and learning what's gone into the making of two of my favorite restaurants in the country, actually, and in addition, New York, New York City. It's clear that the love and respect you share for each other and your desire to make people happy is really the driving force behind everything that you do. And thanks to all of you who are listening. I love sharing these stories with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. And if you have anyone you'd like to nominate for a shout-out broadly, please email me. I'd love to hear from you at speakingbroadlypodcast at gmail.com. Have a great week. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without the support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.